0: So, uh, I'll start with the easy stuff, which is uh, right back to the start. As you said, I'm born in Papua New Guinea. I'm a Papua New Guinean citizen. I'm proud of my PNG heritage, and uh, I, uh, I enjoy being able to come back to Papua New Guinea to uh, add value after working and setting up a life in Australia. The Brian Group was started uh, in 1958. It's a 63-year-old business that started as a little gun shop, but uh, in a small suburb in Port Moresby called Ella Beach, and it's grown to be one of Papua New most recognized uh, business brands. Certainly not the biggest retailer in the country, but it's highly respected and regarded, and uh, our team over the 63 years have done a wonderful job in building the reputation business, really focused on providing uh, quality service and value. And I am fortunate to have two wonderful daughters, a beautiful wife. Uh, they live in Australia, and uh, and I work in PNG. So uh, FaceTime and, uh, and uh, you know all the modern communications are how we go about life, and that's not uncommon for people that uh, work uh, abroad. And COVID certainly has made that a bit of a, a challenge for us. But no, I'm uh, I'm delighted to be back working uh, in PNG and and with the team here that are doing some amazing things to change the way our customers shop in our business and uh, give back to the community in a really positive way. So uh, it's a great environment to be in. That's excellent.
2: And I see, you know, with the retail and so forth, especially with uh, lockdowns and that being, you know, we're relying a lot on, on supermarkets, of course, to actually provide us the food and everything we need to be able to survive as we stay at home for sure. So, uh, it's a really important aspect of our life at the moment too, along with what you just said around FaceTime and technology helping us stay in touch with family and friends and loved ones around the world, especially when we can't go and visit them for sure. So it's a uh, it's real important stuff. Hey, Ian,
0: how did you get into leadership? Look, I think I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by leaders as a child. My, my grandfather started the business. My father was obviously uh, involved in the business at a senior level. I was influenced by uh, people running a business and leading teams of people uh, from a very early age. I decided to go and you know, forge my own identity and learn a little bit more about uh, retail outside of the Papua New Guinea environment and move to Australia. And uh, I, I came from an environment where you were expected to work hard all the time. And uh, for me, as a you know, uh, an early person i didn't i didn't have uh, aspirations to be a leader of such but uh, over time just as a result of having an expectation that i worked hard i was provided with opportunities fortunately to take on more significant roles and slowly that formed some i guess leadership credibility amongst the people that i was working with and uh, i had some really strong mentors over the time that provided me opportunity to then take on more and more You know, all of a sudden, one minute, you're, uh, you know, you're stacking shelves or doing things that uh, just need to be done to suddenly responsible for and accountable for uh, more significant uh, parts of the business. So I'm I'm fortunate that I'd argue that in some ways I was surrounded by it early and that influenced me uh, very quickly. And others, I think I've just been fortunate that I've had good mentors that have identified that maybe I had some leadership qualities that were valuable that helped to steer me to a place where I could uh, use those.
2: Yeah. Okay, good. So you mentioned a couple of things I want to do a little bit of a deep dive on. One is around your own identity. Do you think developing your own leadership identity is important?
0: I absolutely do, Dennis. I think that uh, if I just talk personally for a minute, I I was born into a family that had a small business that was growing. It was recognized as that teenager, you know you you want to be your own person and recognize for your own uh, skills, etc. And I was uh, working in a, an environment where everyone knew who I was because of my father and my grandfather. So, you know, when you get to 19 and everywhere you go, someone says, oh, you're Sir Brian's grandson or you're Trevon's son. I decided that uh, maybe it was time that uh, I went and learned some things and set my own course because you know the it was important that i built my own i guess credibility or brand and such and uh decided off i'd go and do my own thing the expectation was uh, for a short period of time it turned out to be much longer than that uh, i always tell people that i was a, a very slow learner but i think that your own credibility your own style your own i'm going to call it a brand but that's that's very important because when you talk about reputations, when you talk about integrity, authenticity is very important. And I think for me, it's really, really important that people identify what it is they stand for and work really hard to maintain that expectation of those people around them. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Very good. So, yeah, your brand,
2: but you, there's so many things you've just covered off there, which is which is brilliant. The second area I wanted to deep dive, do a little bit of a deep dive on, and which is you talked about having some strong mentors around you. How important is it for people to actually think about who are either wanting to get into leadership or are at a certain leadership level, but they want to go to more senior levels or to a larger scale, how important is it for them to have mentors and What should they do to try and find a mentor?
0: Look, I think, Dennis, I think it's critical. I think that no one is going to realize their potential without support. I I know that there's plenty of examples where people have, but I think that if they reflect on their journey, there will always be people that have influenced them either directly or indirectly. And so I think that uh, having some people around you that can provide you with some steer, some direction, some guidance, some honesty around the things that you need to be doing to go to the places that you want to from a leadership perspective is a critical part of your development. And uh, I've been very fortunate along the way that while I might not have realized that at the time uh, that I had people that were invested in my success and uh, or at least me doing well, whether it was to support them in their roles or just to see me be the best uh, that I could be, I, I think that's really important. I think it's important that you have close contacts, whether they're inside the business or outside your work environment, that, that know you well, that provide you with, you know, that steer. I, I credit a lot of things to a lot of people, but I also can't underestimate the patience and tolerance of my wife who, you know, knows me better than anyone and just belts me around the head every now and then when it's time to say, well, this is what you need to have a a good, hard look at. And uh, those sorts of conversations are really important.
2: Yeah, I think the, the words that you used before about having, you know, them being honest and having some honesty with you And having that honest conversation, you know, and you caught a a build around the head a couple of times, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's really what we talk about is that there are people who have got, as you said, vested interest in you. They've got your back, but they've got your back in a good way in the sense that they want to look after you and make sure you succeed. And so having those honest conversations is going to be really important for sure. Excellent. Ian, you may have several here, but I'm going to ask you this question in the sense of who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history, but who's your favorite leader
0: and why? I think that's a really tough question for me, uh, if I'm honest. I, uh, I I think about when people ask me this question, who, who yeah. I would consider my favorite leader, I think that there's, there's not one person that I say to me influences the things that I've learned from or the environments that i've been in that i've taken the most from i'd say i take lots of little pieces from the people that i see or the people that uh, influence me i i love seeing stuff from nelson mandela i love reading about uh, um, people like abraham lincoln because they're you know pioneers or they've demonstrated amazing courage you know i i was a big uh, still am a big barack obama fan because you know you're talking about breaking down barriers and uh you know a, a guy who can inspire people with a conversation for me you know in terms of favorite leader i've got some people that i work with that you know really have influenced me uh, over my journey uh, there's a gentleman uh, that i work with that in the cold West Farmers world for a number of years, who, so, you know, I could only be described as uh, firm but fair and, you know, genuinely invested in your success. And so, uh, you know, Mark was a very, very strong influence on my development uh, as a leader. But I, I can't put it down to one person. I always look to people for, you know, whether they have an authenticity, whether they can inspire people, whether they deliver. Uh, messages that you take away and reflect on on a regular basis because they're meaningful. And so it's it's a tough question to answer with just one person. So uh, I, I think if I could wash up one leader alive or, or dead, it would be a person who embodies all of those qualities that are important to me, authenticity, honesty, integrity inspiration that, uh, you know, there are people that have probably got elements of all of that. And uh, if you're taking those elements and making one person, I'm not sure they're out there, then I'm, maybe I haven't found them yet.
1: Hello, Dennis. My pleasure to be on the show.
0: It's great to
2: have you here. Now, I've told our listeners a little bit about your background. Is there anything else? Tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? Honestly, no.
1: I actually always hate that question. I recently turned 60 and, uh, I was being asked by a prospective new client in, uh, in India to tell me about themselves. And I just realized that, you know, I said, well, how far do you want me to go back? And she said, to the beginning. I said, well, you weren't even born at the beginning, right? So the potted history of who I am is English by birth. I went to an English grammar school. I was a pretty good science student. And, and I had my eyes set on, on being a doctor. I was influenced by those movies, doctors in the, Doctor in the House. Uh, they merged my boys' grammar school with a girls' high school just before my A-levels, and uh, I got distracted. And uh, I didn't get the grades for medicine, but I got the grades for physiotherapy. So I graduated as a physiotherapist way back in 1982, hence the reason why I was saying this girl didn't, wasn't even born yet. I worked for a couple of years in hospitals, and that taught me a lot about organization and hierarchy. And then I did what most male physios do is I got involved in sport i was uh, I was a physio with the Bally Rombear and uh, first division soccer club. I won't mention it just in case i I upset some of the listeners people are very uh, very loyal to their team so I was uh, a sports physio moved to Australia in the uh, 80s as an entrepreneur I set up a chain of physiotherapy and acupuncture clinics because by this time I had a postgraduate in traditional chinese medicine and I got interested in holistic wellness and I purchased a gym and turned it into a holistic wellness center and I was ahead of my time because I was disrupted by the movement of US and South African big gym chains into Australian market and I tried to compete on price when I was in fact delivering service and I lost everything. And so in the year 2000, uh, I wasn't taken out by the, the, the Y2K bug. I was taken out by business reality. And I lost everything. I lost houses, cars, self-esteem, sense of purpose. And I was living in a backpacker's hostel in King's Cross, which was not a very nice area of Sydney at that time. And that's when I kind of had the revelation after a period of licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself that I actually needed to practice what I preach around the mental toughness and resilience to come back. And that's where I formulated uh, and began to articulate my message on self-leadership, which has been my area of speaking, coaching, consulting, writing ever since that time. Self-leadership listeners, Andrew's just sharing.
2: Practice what you preach. That's a pretty cool statement just there. We could probably end the episode just on that. But I think it's a very powerful statement that you've just made there. And what do you mean practice and what you preach. What should people do about that, Andrew?
1: Well, it really is you know, the core of authenticity, right? I had worked with athletes looking at goal setting and visualization, and I'd, you know, I'd spoken to people about being successful. But here I was, knocked for six as it were, and I had to get a hold of my own mental attitude. And thankfully, I had previously read... Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, where he talks about, you know, that uh, the last of all human freedoms is the freedom to choose our own attitude. And of course, that really is the heart of self-leadership. And so I had to face my reality. And I, I use an acronym now with my client, accept the reality. It is what it is. There's no point complaining that it's not fair. I have to accept this is the reality. I have to adjust my behaviors if I want to advance, so accept, adjust, and advance. And the definition that I use with uh, my co-author of a 2012 book we wrote on the topic of self-leadership is the practice of intentionally influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions towards your objectives. So key here is, is leadership is always about taking people to group goals. So you have to have outcomes. You have to decide that you want to move somewhere. And you have to take ownership and responsibility of your thoughts, feelings, and actions towards that nobody's going to turn up on a white horse and rescue you. you got to do it yourself, to the most part. That doesn't mean you don't reach out and ask for help, but you ask for help in a way that, hey, I- I'm doing this. Will you, will you join me in the endeavor? Not, will you do it for me? And, and the key of the definition is it's the practice of intentionally influencing. The, the, the great Zig Ziglar, the, the sales motivational speaker of the United States, used to talk about motivation is like taking a shower, the effect is not permanent. And you know, just self-leadership is a daily practice. Every day that you wake up, you open your eyes, you take a shower, you get your clothes on, you go to work or you look after your family, whatever it is that you do, you start anew. you. You have to get your attitude right and then you have to get your actions right.
2: Yeah, excellent. And, and Andrew, when you've been sharing that is, that, is that actually how you got into leadership that through losing the other business and so forth and then getting into the leadership side or was there something else that got you into leadership?
1: It was a little bit of both. So I'd already start, before the collapse of my business, I'd already started speaking and I'd spoken at various business conferences. After I lost everything, I was building back my consulting business. And it came, I came to the attention of a managing director of a company who realized that as a physiotherapist, I'd helped his sports team improve. And he said, well, why don't you come and work with my management team? Because they suck. And... <laughs> And the interesting thing was I turned up with a a tabular razor, a blank sheet of paper, unlike consulting companies who turn up with their methodology right, and and prescribe them. I went with a curiosity and I'd learned NLP modeling skills and I had my my background in traditional Chinese medicine looking at what are the influences that create the reality. So I went into his team with open eyes and and a blank notebook and I noted what was working, what was not. What were the drivers for performance? What were the inhibitors to performance? And I began to make some changes and they were successful. And then I realized I was onto something, but I had a bit of imposter syndrome because I didn't have an MBA and I thought that's what I needed to be a leadership consultant. So I went off to do an MBA and on, my, on the organizational behavior and leadership course, I kept arguing with the lecturer because he was saying, well, there's this theory and there's this theory. I go, yeah, but how does that work in reality? And he said, well, you've got some good questions. Why don't you go and do your own research and write your own book? And, well, the rest, as they say,
2: is history. <laughs> they laid the challenge down and you went out and wrote the book. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I very did. good. Did. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, that's, that's some really cool stuff that you're sharing there. And here's a question for you, and that is, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be from history or alive. Who's your favorite leader and why?
1: So... Thank you for the question, Dennis, but it's a trick question and it's one that I get asked a lot and I refuse to answer. And the reason is, is that if you personify somebody, you you run a huge risk because leadership is always about context. And I think this is something that a lot of leadership speakers miss. It's about context. It's time, place. You're the right leader for the right place. So for instance, growing up as an Englishman, of course, I was influenced by Sir Winston Churchill, our wartime leader, you know, he's hard to miss with his, you know, V sign and we will fight them on the beaches. But for the most of his political career and military career, Winston Churchill was an abject failure. And in fact, he did some terrible things and, uh, you know, they, he talked to Indians and they don't like Winston Churchill because, you know, he resisted Gandhi and the independence of India. Talk to New, uh, New Zealanders and Australians. They You know, Winston Churchill was an architect of Gallipoli where the ANZUS, you know, died on the beaches. So, you know, you'd say, well, Winston was the right leader at the right time and the right type of leader. Right. I recently, uh, when I was in Singapore, saw Barack Obama and I love Barack Obama for his oratory. But, you know, we're seeing that he was, you know, he also oversaw the Afghan war and he also didn't do what was necessary. He drone strikes under Barack Obama increased like crazy. So oratory on the one side, but he failed to leave a a legacy, he failed to leave a succession plan. So we could criticize him. We could, pictures from sport. I mean, I remember when we used to use Tiger Woods as an example for somebody who was open to getting coaching. And then Tiger Woods, of course, uh, blew up his his marriage very publicly. So I would avoid picking one individual because Mm -hmm. although I challenged the leadership theory I have studied leadership theory, and I actually, hashtag ironically, teach on MBA programs now. And leadership is always about the leader's style, the follower's motivation and skill set, and the situational context. And so I think leadership starts from the inside out. A, a leader could be a single mom bringing up, you know, a couple of kids on, you know, on a limited budget. And to that end, I used to talk about J.K. Rowling because I think her story is very inspirational. And then j k. Rowling blew up in the in the public space with her antagonism towards transgenders. So you see how it's 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 fraught with difficulty that question.
2: Andrew, stop talking about these leaders because they keep blowing up after you talk about them. I mean, I know it's it's quite <laughs> funny how you are how it all is, and I, and what I'm getting from this is that you know for all of us as leaders, we can become leaders based on the context and what's going on in the situation. And, of course, we can learn from everybody and take those learnings and do something with it, which is really important for us.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.